Where is he? Oh, I'ma break it down with the sound from the underground bass by the pound. Once was lost, now I'm found. And there he is. Hey, Dale. <sighs> hey there, Doug. Hey, it's buddy. How's it going? <laughs> it's good yeah. to see you. Great. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm sensing unhappiness. No, Doug, I am perfectly happy. You were supposed to be here 25 minutes ago, but that's okay. You're here much earlier than you were last week, so that'll be great. I thought I told you I'd be here at the 10th hour. No, I'm certain I would remember it if you told me that. Okay. No, we really need to dig in, though, because we do have a lot of content to cover today. All right, great, let's go. <laughs> I tell you, I am so excited about Jesus. I mean, I want to be so full of Jesus that if a mosquito bites me, it starts singing, there's power in the blood, power in the blood. <laughs> That's actually really great, Doug. Thanks. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. We are short on time, though, so we need to go ahead and get started with our discussion. Okay, great. Oh, hey, can we call it an inquisition? Because I've always wanted to have one of those. Uh, sure. Awesome. Whatever. Okay. Um, Today's topic is inviting people to church. Now, there are a lot of ways to invite people to church, but I've come up with what I think is the definitive five-step process to inviting people to church. I call it the Whipper Method. Whipper? Wait, wait, wait. Whipper? I, I thought we were supposed to do this in love and not with violence. No, no. It's, it's not Whipper as in whip her. It's Whipper, as in W-W-P-R-R. -R. It's an acronym. <laughs> oh, I understand. I mean, not like in I understand, but in I understand. <clears throat> well, Whipper is actually a climbing term for an unexpected fall when the climber has no idea what's going to happen until the last possible second when their life is saved by their climbing partner's heroic efforts. Now, inviting people to church can be a lot like climbing. It can be really scary at first, but then you reach the summit and you succeed. But sometimes you might fail and fall. Don't worry, though. If you fall, your climbing partner, God, will be there to catch you before you hit the ground. Wow. Whoa. I mean, Dale, that was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I slept through most of it, but... The part that I heard was really inspirational. I mean, hey, hey, you. Whoa, 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 Doug, what are you doing? I was going to invite that person to church. No, 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 no. You, you can't do that yet. That's, that's not the way the Whipper Method works. Uh, I guess I got inspired too quickly. You, you did, you did. Now, I, I just, I don't want you to get out ahead of yourself and get disappointed. Oh, right. Whew, well, then that was a close call. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. Sure thing, Doug, no problem. All right, so the Whipper Method has five steps. Step one starts with a W, and the W stands for who. Ask yourself, who do I want to invite to church? W-H-O. Oh, right. so it could be anybody, like that person over there. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, hey, you. No, no, Doug, Doug. No, it's not time for that yet. That's, we're only in step one. Oh. There are four more steps to go, and we don't have a lot of time to get there. We've only got, great. 
we're out of time. Hey, don't worry about it, buddy. Hey, your system actually works great. What are you talking about? Well, I texted my Tuesday night paintball team, and guess what? They're all coming to church this Sunday. <laughs> but how, how that's, that's not till step four. I know. Your system is amazing. <laughs> hey, thanks for sharing it with me, man. Listen, I've got to go, but we'll be back again next week, right? Right. All right. Southern fried awesome. <laughs> Ten people. At, wow. I guess my method is awesome after all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, let's, let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the kindness that you've shown us in your son. Thank you, Lord, that we have been invited into the kingdom. We have been invited to gather with the one who made all things. Father, I'm thankful that, Lord, in Christ we have someone who is greater than all of our fears, the one who goes before us. And I pray, God, that our church would be dangerous against the kingdom of darkness as we seek to engage people, to influence them and to point them to the hope that's ultimately found in your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Albert McMakin is a name that most everyone has never heard of. But in 1934, a revival was taking place just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And Albert, being a dairy farm boy, wanted to invite people to come with him. And so he grabbed his friend and invited him to come with him to this revival. Now, at first, his, his friend was reluctant and wasn't interested in going. But eventually, he agreed and went with him to this revival service. When he got there, Albert's friend heard the gospel. He heard the good news of what Christ had done for him through his death and through his resurrection and responded and gave his life to Jesus. Albert's friend was Billy Graham. It's amazing the power of an invitation. When you invite people to come and gather with you to hear the gospel and to encounter God himself. As many of you know, this week Billy Graham died this week at the age of 99. And I was blown away this week as I heard story after story, testimony after testimony of how God used this man to influence millions of people with the gospel, of how this farm boy from North Carolina was used by God to impact the world for Christ. All of it began because of an invitation through a friend. Well, this morning, we're going to take some time to dig into John chapter 1, where we're going to see the power of an invitation. We're going to see two people who are invited to come and meet Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, they are changed forever, and by God's grace, you and I have been changed through them. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. We're taking a break from our series through 1 Peter, and we're going to take the next four weeks and go through the sermon series entitled, For Impact. These are going to be four different areas in, look, in which we as a church are going to seek to become more faithful and more effective in fulfilling the mission that God has given to us as a church. Before Jesus ascended back up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, he, le he left marching orders for his disciples before he left. That's what we call the Great Commission, in which he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. 
You see, disciple-making is the primary mission of the church. And as the church of Christ, God calls us to be faithful to Christ, be faithful to the word of Christ. So the way that we say it here at Westwood is that Westwood is about investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus. These ten words give us our true north as a church. We want to obey and be faithful to Jesus in the commands that he has given to us in the Great Commission. And so as we go through these next several weeks of four impact, we're going to be looking at different ways that we can continue to have impact on people for the sake of Christ. And this morning in John chapter 1, we're going to see the impact that we can have through an invitation. The context of the Gospel of John is that John, the disciple of Jesus, he's also the, known as the apostle of Jesus, has written this gospel. He's the fourth of four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then we get to John. Now John tells us what his thesis is, what his purpose statement is at the end of his book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. You see, John is saying, here's my purpose. I want to reach you for Jesus. In fact, the entire gospel of John is like an evangelistic gospel tract. He's wanting you to put your faith in Christ, to come to know him, and to surrender your life completely to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we get to John chapter 1, he introduces Jesus as the word of God. He is the word of God who has come into the world as light. Then John the apostle introduces another guy whose name is also John. Separate John, two different Johns here. The second John is John the Baptist. His role was to be the trailblazer for Jesus, to set the path so that Jesus might come forth as the one that he was pointing forward to. And so John picks up with his ministry in verse 19 of pointing to John the Baptist who's declaring that he is not the Messiah, but this Messiah is coming. But then he gets to verse 29, 10 verses later, and he declares, here he is. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Messiah, this Christ, I've been pointing you forward to, here he is, and it's the person of Jesus. But then 24 hours later, he sees Jesus again, and he declares the same statement again. Look with me in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 35. The scripture says, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look! The Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, Jesus replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they said with him that day, with, stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. 
The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, Nathanael asked him? Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John records for us here in the text two different encounters. The first of two brothers, Andrew and Simon Peter, and then the second of two friends, Philip and Nathaniel. Now, for Andrew and Philip, the first thing they did after meeting Jesus is they went and found people they knew, and they invited them to come and meet Jesus. And through these invitations, lives have been changed forever. In fact, we're taking a break from a sermon series from a letter written by this man that Andrew brought to Jesus, Simon Peter. So it's amazing how God uses an invitation when you invite people to come and encounter the risen Christ. Well, Kenneth, why? What's the big deal? Why should I be so focused on inviting people to gather with us? Let me give you three reasons from the text. The first is this. The first reason we invite people to gather with us is because we have a Savior to point to. Verse 36, John the Baptist said, look. The Lamb of God. That word look, it quite literally means don't miss this. There is a looking. There is a beholding. There is a, hey, don't miss this. Parents, you're very familiar with this phrase from your kids. When they say, hey, mom, watch this. Okay, for my kids, we we love to ride bikes, and that's what we do. We go mountain biking and around the neighborhood. And and so my boys have thought, well, this is getting a little bit boring and monotonous. I'm going to start riding with no hands. And so sometimes they'll even prop their feet up on their handlebars and ride around the neighborhood. And their words are, hey, Dad, watch this. Well, that is exactly what John the Baptist is saying here. He's saying, look, watch this. Don't miss this. Behold the Lamb of God. And here he makes this phrase of, y'all, don't miss this. I want you to see him. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ that we have been looking for. It's interesting he uses this phrase, Lamb of God. This is an Old Testament reference to the Old Covenant in which animal sacrifices were the means of atoning for sin. But because the wages of sin is death, something has to die for us to be forgiven. But the blood of animals was never enough. It was insufficient to cover your sin and my sin. 
enter Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, it's through the death of Christ on the cross that you and I can be forgiven. His blood is the perfect atonement to pay for our sins once and for all. He indeed is the sacrifice that the entire Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing forwards to. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. And here, John the Baptist is saying, look, behold the Lamb. Here is Jesus, the one that we have been looking for. And so that's what we do as a church, is it not? This is what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings. We come together and we say, behold the Lamb of God. Let's look upon Jesus. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. So whether it's a Sunday morning gathering or in your small group and you sit in circles with open Bibles or you sit at Chick-fil-A having coffee and a chicken biscuit with somebody and you're talking about Jesus, this is what we do together as the church is that we, we behold the Lamb together. We look upon Jesus. This weekend, we had a Disciple Now weekend where we had 158 teenagers packed into this place for a weekend. That's why right now we have Star Wars behind me on the stage. <laughs> An incredible weekend, but this is what they did. They came together for the weekend and they were going to look at Jesus. They're going to behold Jesus. And this is what we do as a church. But y'all, we have to make sure that this is a priority for us as a church. Don't miss this. Healthy churches consistently and faithfully point to Jesus and declare, let's look at Jesus together. That's what faithfulness looks like, is we continually look upon Christ. The moment that churches stop beholding Jesus, God will take his hand off of that church. It's true for you as a believer. The moment that you stop looking upon Jesus, the moment you stop standing in wonder of who he is and what he has done for you, your heart will become restless. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. God made you to find rest in him, to behold him, to look upon Jesus. And y'all, this is why you and I need the church. Our hearts are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The way you and I get to labor together is as a church, we continually say, no, 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 no. Don't look at yourself. Let's look at Jesus. Let's not look at your problems. Let's fix our eyes upon Christ. You see, we have a Savior to point to as a church. And his name is Jesus. And so we want to invite people to come and be a part because we want them to behold the Lamb of God. But secondly, the second reason we invite people to gather with us is because we have an invitation to give. As John the Baptist is calling people to behold the Lamb, verse 36, two of his disciples left him and went and followed Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and he sees these two men following him and he asks them, verse 38, what are you looking for? And they asked him, teacher, where are you going? Verse 39, Jesus extends them an invitation. He says, come and see, come and see. 
same invitation that Philip issues to Nathanael. After Jesus calls upon Philip to follow me, Philip goes and finds Nathanael. And he tells him, verse 45, we have found the one that Moses has been talking about. We have found the one that the prophets have been pointing forward to. It's Jesus, son of Joseph, come from Nazareth. But then Nathanael reveals his own prejudice, wondering if anything good can come from Nazareth. Is it possible the Messiah could be a Nazarene? Philip responds, verse uh, 46, with, come and see. Instead of debating theology, instead of tracing genealogy, Philip just says to his friend Nathaniel, if you've got a problem, why don't you come and see? Come and meet this Jesus. You see, God is an invitational God. He invites us to come to himself. He's not some deity in the sky who spins the earth into orbit and then disengages. No, no, he is near and he loves you and he desires a relationship with you and he has made a way through his son. You see, continually throughout the scriptures, we see God call out to people, come unto me and I will give you rest. Come unto me and find eternal life. Come unto me and you will find what you were made for. It's amazing that in Christ we find the one whom we were made for. God has made a way for you to have a relationship with him through the death and resurrection of his son. He invites you to come to him. But God's invitation to a relationship is found in Jesus alone. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. There is exclusivity to Jesus. Don't miss this. The church of Jesus Christ is an inclusive people who believe in exclusive gospel. You see, the church, we, we want to say to everybody, come in here. You are welcome. Come be a part. Why? Because that's what God says. He invites all men everywhere, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You are welcome to the table, but you got to believe upon Jesus. And you see, this invitation, y'all, it remains today. You and I, we, we have friends and we have family who need Jesus and we have the opportunity to introduce them, to invite them, to come and meet the one that Moses was talking about. This is what we have. We give an invitation to extend out to the world. But y'all, here's the deal. The world in which we now live is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel. To make an exclusive statement about Jesus being the only way to the Father will give you titles such as intolerant, bigots, closed-minded, names that have been lobbed at me. But this is where we stand as followers of Jesus. If we're going to remain faithful to Jesus, the gospel is offensive because the gospel says there's only one God and Savior and you're not him. 
Well, to our flesh, we reject that. We like being our own saviors. We like being the captain of our own souls. We like being the ones who write the story of our own lives. But the gospel, in its offense, we must not allow it to take its place of offensiveness. But y'all, here's the key. We cannot be the ones who are offensive. Don't miss this. The gospel is offensive, but Christians shouldn't be. As believers, we must continually be examining ourselves to make sure that we are not the stumbling block that keeps someone from coming to faith in Christ. We've got to be examining not only the posture of our hearts and our attitudes, our words, our actions, but how we function, why we do what we do, but how we do what we do. In everything we do, we must be continually examining, am I offensive or is Jesus the one who is offensive? For us, faithfulness to Jesus means we lift up Christ and we deny ourselves. We hold up Jesus, but I deny my preferences. Because I have something far more that's offensive, and I need to make sure I get out of the way of the power and the beauty of the cross. The beauty of Jesus. But Kenneth, you're telling us to invite people to meet Jesus. But he's not here. He is risen. He is ascended up into heaven. That's true. However, though Jesus is in heaven and he is at the right hand of God the Father, he has left a visible representation here on earth. It's called the church. The church is the body of Christ. If people look at the church, they got to say, there's Jesus right there. That is a representation. That is what he looks like. So where is the body of Christ, y'all? Look around the room. Look across this campus. We are the body of Christ. Don't miss this. The church is the visible body of Christ on earth. And though Jesus is in heaven, he left the church behind so that we might be his ambassadors to the world, so we might declare to the world to repent and believe upon Jesus. Trust in him. And when you do, come lock arms with the church. The very thing that Jesus said, hell itself cannot defeat. The church will make it to the end. Jesus promise so and when you lock arms with the church you're saying this is who I belong to and I'm a part of the mission of Jesus and this is what we get to do until Jesus returns and recalls us home it's our mission investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus so if you want to see Jesus look at the church And so when we invite people to come to church, what we're saying is, come and see. Come and meet the risen Christ. And so y'all, when we gather, when we hear the word of Christ, as we sing praises to Christ, as we uh, gather together in the name of Christ, as we pray to Christ, as we eat a meal in remembrance of Christ, as we see people baptized in the name of Christ, we are declaring to the world the glory of God and that we are the living, breathing body of Christ. We belong to Jesus. And so if if you want to see what Jesus looks like, look at the church. Do you see why faithfulness matters in gathering every week? It matters that you're here. 
It matters that you're inviting people to come with you to say, come and see. You're not inviting people to a show. You're not inviting people to come and join a country club. You're inviting people to come and meet the risen Christ. We want people to know Jesus. And y'all, we have an invitation to give because God is an inviting God. You see, when you gather here, not only does your presence matter, but your influence matters. Do you remember your ninth grade year when you walked onto a high school campus and there was just this big, huge building and hundreds of people you didn't know? Do you remember that feeling that you felt? It's almost like this fear, this anxiety. It's almost like, a, oh my goodness, what am I about to get myself into? Well, every Sunday, when visitors and guests come onto our campus, that's exactly how they feel. They see a big building, they see hundreds of people they don't know yet, and they're wondering, what am I about to get myself into? Last week, a family walked in to our atrium, and they walked in, and their eyes got as big as saucers, like, oh my goodness, what is this place? You see, you going up and engaging people in conversations can have tremendous impact on people. Inviting them, hey, are you guys new? Hey, won't you come sit with us? Hey, are y'all in a small group? And if not, come, come with us, come hang out with us. You see, we're an inclusive people. Why? Because God is inclusive to us in the gospel. And when she says, come here, come be a part of this, you are invited. We should be the people marked throughout Shelby County as the most inclusive people in which we say, you come and hear about this amazing Savior. Come be a part of us. If you're an empty nester, I want to encourage you to start filling up your calendar with breakfasts and lunches with people. Saying, hey, would you come hang out with me? Let, let me buy you lunch. Let me get to know you. Why don't your family come over after church today? Let's go get breakfast together. Can we connect for coffee? This is what it looks like to invest in people. It's having these relationships in which you're engaging people. You're wanting to make those relationships. Why? So that we can exalt Jesus. So we can behold the Lamb of God. You see, what I'm talking about here is creating a culture of hospitality. Is that we become a people that are con just continually looking at people, saying, I want you to come be a part of this. Why? We love one another. We're together for the gospel. We are united. We are full of joy and love. And this is a place where you can meet Jesus. And when you see us gather, this is what he looks like. So we are to display, okay, what the gospel looks like in the way that we invite and we engage people. And we tell them, come and see. Come and see. I want you to have what I have. I want you to experience what I've gotten to experience. And his name is Jesus. And he's changed everything about me. Thirdly, I want you to see that we invite people to gather with us because we know people who need Jesus. Andrew and Philip, they knew who needed Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The moment they meet Christ, they know I've got to get my brother Peter to come and meet him. I've got to get my friend Nathaniel here to come and meet Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, he changes everything about you. And so, so Philip and Andrew, they couldn't help but declare, we have found the Christ. We have found him. 
We found the one Moses was writing, writing about. It's, his name is Jesus. And when you believe upon him, he forgives you of your sin. He promises eternal life. He adopts you in his family. He overwhelms you with his love. He gives you purpose for your life. Who in the world does not want that? We have the greatest news that the world needs to hear. And so we as the church must continually be the most inviting people saying, come and see, come and meet Jesus. And your invitation could change people's lives forever. There's power that takes place when you invite people to come and meet Christ. So what does this look like practically? Okay, how do I go about this? Let me give you three ways real quickly. How do I invite someone to gather with the church? The first is this, be relational. Be relational. It's hard to invite someone you don't know. And so the water cooler, the Coke machine is a great place where you can engage people. If you're on the ball field, this past Tuesday I was at soccer practice with my son, a bunch of parents standing around, and I'm like, here we go. And so I start engaging people, building relationships, inviting them. Hey, do you have a church you're connected to? Hey, if not, I want to invite you to come and be a part of Westwood. Why? Because this is what we do. We're relational. We want to connect with people. Secondly, be intentional. You've got to open your mouth. One of the things I do is I keep invitation cards in my wallet. And so in my conversations with people, I just invite them. This morning, on your way out, if you want to get some invitation cards, they're just business cards with our address and service times on them. And just say, hey, listen, if you have a church you're connected to, let me invite you to come to my church. I'd love for you to come and connect and meet with Jesus there. It is an amazing church. And by the way, I believe it. I tell people all the time, I get to pastor the best church in the world. And, I, and it's true. I, it really is true. But that's just an easy way. You're intentionally engaging people. So here's the deal. When, when, when you invite them to come, sit with them, okay? Hey, when you meet me, it's not, hey, I'm so glad you're here, and then walk away, right? <laughs> and sit down with them. Explain what's happening. Invite them to your small group. And make this just an intentional part of the conversation. And by the way, that means you have to be here. If you invite them and you're not here, it's like, uh, okay, this is really, really awkward. Where do I go? What do I do? You can be a connector in bringing someone to Jesus just through a simple invitation. Let me encourage you. You've got to plan it out. I heard this quote, and I, I think it's so, so rich. It's so good. Dean and Sarah said it like this. He said, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. So Saturday night, you're texting them, hey, I, I can't wait to meet with you. I'll meet you here, or I'll come by and pick you up. So be relational, be intentional. But number three, be consistent. Okay, invitation is not a one and done deal. You want, to be, you want to be consistently and persistently inviting them. Not being overbearing, but you're just continually just inviting them to come and be a part of what God is doing. So here's my challenge to us as a church. I want to invite you to invite four people every month to gather with you at Westwood. Four people. That's one person a week. Now, on your way in, you received a marble. Now, you're saying, what in the world is this marble for? Here's the challenge. For the next four weeks, we're going to be providing for you four different challenges that we're going to be maintaining throughout the rest of the year. Throughout 2018, out in the atrium, we're going to have this four-impact station where we want to invite you to come and drop one marble in each of these buckets for each of the challenges that we present to you. So, for example, for this one, 
for every person you invite to come and gather with your small group, with, your v, with VBS, to a Sunday morning gathering, is you just drop one marble in every jar for every person. We're going to provide lots of marbles out there, and I would love for us to stack these things up. Why are we doing this? Number one, for encouragement. How encouraging will it be to see how many people we as a church are inviting to come and gather with us? I think also it's good for accountability. Saying, oh my goodness, I, I haven't invited somebody in a while. I need to make sure I get, I get involved in that. How cool would it be at the end of the year in which we just lay out across the stage all these marbles that represent the number of people whom we have brought and invited to come and be a part of our church. And so that's what this marble is. It's a way for us to say, you know what? These are people that I want to come and meet Jesus. I want them to come and gather with God's people. And all it is is an invitation. And so the challenge is that. It's, it's four people per month in which you invite them to come and be a, a part of our church. You know, I was 19 years old and a freshman in college, a new believer, but I didn't have a church I was connected to. And so as I was going throughout the college life, eventually some friends said, hey, what are you doing Sunday? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know. And they said, why don't you come to church with us? I said, okay. So Sunday morning, they picked me up at my dorm. They drove me seven and a half miles to the church where we were going. And I loved it. I started connecting with people, started making friends. I heard the gospel. I fell more in love with Jesus. And you know what I did? I went back the next week. And then the next week. And then the next week. And I got connected. And all of a sudden, I found myself on the donut team. I brought donuts to church every week. That was my new job. And then I was promoted to setting up chairs. And so that's what I did there. And then God called me to ministry. And I had the opportunity to start preaching the gospel to teenagers. I became an intern and then a student pastor. And then God called me here. And now I get to be your pastor. I am your shepherd because someone invited me. They just said, hey, won't you come with us to church? They had no idea what God had planned. But all it takes is an invitation. Come and see. Come and be a part of what Christ is doing. Because all it takes is one invitation to take some 19-year-old college freshman and prepare him for an impact for generations of Bruce's that have yet to be born for the sake of Jesus. And all it took was one invitation of a dairy farm boy in North Carolina in which millions upon millions of people have come to Jesus, all because of one invitation.